Dr. Rosemary Nisnik was raised in northeastern Pennsylvania. She was admittedly one of those children that knew from an early age that she wanted to be a veterinarian. She earned her BS in animal bioscience at Pennsylvania State University and her DVM from the University of Georgia in 1990. She did a small animal internship, followed by a number of positions in small animal practices in the northeastern United States. Like many of us, she experienced holistic medicine firsthand while getting treatment for a back injury. She completed the mixed animal course at Chi University in 2017, and her holistic education has continued ever since. Dr. Nisnik is also certified in veterinary spinal manipulative therapy from the Healing Oasis and in veterinary food therapy from Chi University. She has studied Chinese herbal medicine and Twina at Chi University and is currently enrolled in their master's program. She's also served as a teaching assistant for both Chi University and IVIS in their acupuncture courses. Currently, her clinical work is divided between relief work and allopathic small animal practice and holistic house call practice in both Wisconsin and Illinois. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Rosemary Nisnik as we discuss her education, practice life, activities in organized veterinary medicine, and life outside of work. Dr. Nisnik, it's great to talk to you. Good afternoon, Neil. Sybil, it's nice to talk to you too. Thanks for hey, having uh, me. Oh, you're, you're quite welcome. I'm, I'm uh, happy to talk. So what part of the country did you grow up in? I grew up in the northeastern um, area of the country in a small town in, in Pennsylvania. A rural area? Um, no, it was a big town. Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania was a big town near Scranton, Pennsylvania. Well, like 20, 30,000 people, maybe. I thought it was big <laughs> when I was little. Yeah. Um, a lot of pets growing up? Yeah, dogs. Yeah, we had a couple dogs. Um, and then I brought home, you know, a couple stray kitties, a hamster, salamanders. We, then we had some birds when I was younger. Yeah, just a usual variety of, of pets you have when you're growing up. Yeah. Did you, uh, when did, at what point did you think you wanted to be a veterinarian? So I'm one of those people that you get on your podcast where they say that they always wanted to be a veterinarian from a young age. And I don't know why, but, you know, I, friends tell me they remember me standing up in, I was in like third or fourth grade in Catholic school when then, you know, the sisters or nuns asked, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be a veterinarian. And I, didn't get an answer back, <laughs> but I impressed some classmates and, um, they were very happy to actually, you know, fulfill that, that, I guess that prophecy or that dream. Your mom was in medicine. Um, did you have any pull that way to go into the human, the human side? Not really. We, we lived near a hospital. And so I kind of hung out at the hospital. We went to the canteen and, you know, kind of as kids, you kind of ran around the hospital as much as you could, but I didn't, I didn't really like, yeah, I just didn't really like, you know, the, the, you know, sick people, I guess, you know, just didn't have any, any, like any desire to do anything at the hospital. It seemed just too sterile, too, too formal, you know, too kind of, you know, uptight at the hospital. So I'd never really had any interest in my mom's, you know, I guess chagrin because she really would have liked to see me go into nursing. Yeah. Um, where did you uh, go for undergrad then? I went to the Pennsylvania State University. So that was a, there were some colleges in my hometown, but I never, you know, I didn't want to stay home to go to college. I thought you should go away to go to college. And then Penn State had the, um, you know, the College of Agriculture. And I knew that was going to help me get into veterinary school. What did you study when you were there? 
I started, my major is animal bioscience. So we took basic sciences, you know, chemistry, biology, physics, um, some math, um, some veterinary medicine, basic classes, and, um, you know, some electives. And I uh, just got a basic, you know, my degree is animal bioscience. So it was just, it's mostly like the pre-veterinary degree. Yeah. Did you, uh, did that just kind of solidify the, that you hadn't made the right choice as far as thinking about vet school then? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Penn State. We, we had fun there. It was nice to go to Penn State because that was more rural. There was nothing really out in University Park. You're know, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And then it was nice to be you know, around other students who wanted to go to vet school. And the College of Ag had some opportunities to work with. There's a big dairy um, part in the college. So I actually showed a dairy cow and went out to the barn to groom the dairy cow. And um, there's a lot of courses you could take in food science, too, to learn about, you know, just the basic, just what is a veterinary world and what is the animal world, you know, production world. Yeah. And then you did a little graduate school after, yeah? Yeah, what I did is I, I applied to the University of Pennsylvania because that was a, the state school that you always had applied to veterinary school for. And unfortunately, I got waitlisted the first year. So I stayed at Penn State to work for a veterinarian. And I took um, one or two classes as a non-degree master's student um, just to get some classes that some of the schools I was going to apply to needed. I didn't have. Was it a small animal vet you worked for? Actually, in state college, it was a mixed animal practice where I assisted in the small animal hospital. And then I actually asked them because I had an interest in going to veterinary school, can I accompany them on farm calls? You know, maybe if I was going to work or just even on my day off, could I go out? And they accommodated me for that. And that was fun. And then what schools were you considering besides Penn? I was considering, I knew we heard around that time when I was in college, you you had to really apply to the only state school. And then we heard there's rumors that you could start applying to different schools. So we know the University of Tennessee was taking some out-of-state students. I applied there also. So um, you ended up getting in at Georgia. Yeah. So, so what happened is I stayed at Penn State. For a year, and I applied to University of Pennsylvania and to University of Tennessee, and I got waitlisted again. <laughs> so I knew that this is the second year, so I had knew I had to make a change. Either I could stay at Penn State and figure out to go back to get your master's, but I heard rumors that if you were going to get your master's, they were going to make you finish it and then go to vet school after it. So then that was going to del- delay it more. So I said, well, let's try to move to a different state because there are some Penn State students who moved. Actually, my roommate who was in undergrad, she moved to Georgia because her parents had moved from Pennsylvania, Georgia, and she got into Georgia. And then another friend at Penn State had gotten into Georgia and another friend moved to Ohio. So I moved to New York. So I knew I had to make a move. And um, then, you know, then I said, okay, let's just throw a wide net. So I applied to Purdue. I applied to Wisconsin. Um, I think I actually applied to Cornell. And just anywhere where I thought they would even look at me, I applied to the last year. And then my, so I moved to Georgia. 
And then I worked for a veterinarian in Georgia. It's a small animal veterinarian. has a woman veterinarian, so that was different um, because I always had worked from, you know, male veterinarians or observed, um, you know, veterinarians are male. So it's interesting to see a woman veterinarian and work for her. And while I was working, my roommate, she knew that I believe I I got, I had gotten into the University of Tennessee, but I was waiting to see, you know, waiting for Georgia to see there because I was already there. And I knew Tennessee was a three-year program straight through. So I was kind of concerned that was too fast. So instead of my roommate having me, you know, hand me a letter, because there's a the rumor back then is if you got a thin letter, you didn't get into vet school, but if you got this packet, you got in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but she came with, so she came to work with flowers and a letter and she handed it to me and it said, I don't know, congratulations. I'm like, what? And then she's like, I'm sorry, I, I, I opened this or I held up to light or steamed open your envelope because <laughs> I, I, I had to know. And I was like, okay, well, I'm glad you didn't put me through the terror of trying to like look at the letter and think if I got in or not. So then, so then she was happy because she wanted me to stay there and be her roommate for the rest of the, you know, her veterinary school. And I was happy that I didn't have to move anywhere. And, and at that point, you're, you're just happy to get into school. It's it, your strive to get in it so long and your life's on hold for so long that you're like, oh, I'm finally in veterinary school. Um, and I did get into Wisconsin as an out-of-state grad. And I didn't, I wasn't really paying attention if, oh, if it's out-of-state tuition or in-state tuition, you know, I didn't really compare the financials. You're, I was just trying to get in somewhere before I had to make a decision of what's my plan B, which I had no plan B, um, you know, whatsoever. Did you get in-state tuition then at Georgia? Yeah, I call I called them when I moved down and I said, What do I have to do? Do I have to, you know, do I have to get a job? Can I not go to school? Is there certain restrictions? And they said, We you just have to come here and get your license and live here. Your primary residence has to be here for a year. So that's what I did. And then I got in state tuition. Did you enjoy your time there? It was fun. I enjoyed vet school. You know, I was happy to get in, being out of you know, out of school for two years. And, you know, working, you know, then, then I was ready to go back to school and be more, you know, to be serious to say, okay, you've got to be serious study. You know, you've got to make it through vet school to get a job <laughs> because of my major animal bioscience. And there wasn't a lot of options unless I wanted to be a lab technician or go for my master's or do something completely different. And um, I liked veterinary school. It was fun. You know, I, that's what you're waiting for. You're waiting to get into vet school. I had friends in my roommate's class. I had friends in my class. I joined a lot of clubs. The um, colic team and shock trauma team was big back then. Um, there's a feline medicine team because feline medicine was a new thing, exotic team. So I joined a lot of clubs just because I, you know, I'm here to learn. So let me just get exposed as much as I can. And um, we also got involved in the Alpha Psi veterinary fraternity. For you know, the kegs on Friday night and the football game. <laughs> what, 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 uh, what was involved in the shock trauma team? That was Tim Crow. He, he, that was a big thing when the ear, the emergency medicine is a big thing. And he had the shock trauma team where he'd have classes about how to, you know, do cut down for IVs and do, you know, doing like trach, you know, getting a trach tube in the head or um, just any hit by car. How do you do an emergency? And the, like the, the one where you had the emergency, like compression pants. And so it was all like, what could you do for an emergency? And he was all like, into all like, you know, here's what you could do 
normally, but what if that doesn't work? What can you do next? And then he would have classes and seminars and that. And then also we could get called in if there was a critical case in the ICU, then we would go in and then a student could take a shift for about two to three hours and sit with that critical patient so that they can be cage side. So that, so that overnight, you know, regular technician did, you know, cause they couldn't keep up with that sometimes. And then you got experience because you're the one sitting there with the pet the whole night. That must have been a really good experience, actually. It was fun. It was fun to sit there because sometimes you don't, you know, you're studying the book knowledge. You don't know the practical knowledge of how do you, you know, take blood from a critical patient or monitor or give IV injections or set up IVs or, you know, just about anything. Um, you know, you may have to do like CPR. You, know, you just learned a lot. How about colic team? Did you enjoy, did you enjoy that? The colic team was fun. You know, sometimes you got, you had a test the next day. So you're, so you're like, oh no. So you had to sometimes say, oh, this is not going to be good or maybe study ahead of time. But that was amazing just to see the horses being sedated and then put on a surgery table and then have surgery. So half the, you know, sometimes as the student, other students were called in to assist because they were in terms of equine medicine, but you know, some of the other students, you just kind of hung out, you held something, or I had to be the person who was flushing the intestines while the surgeon was doing surgery. And you, sometimes you'd be too amazed at like what the doctor was doing. They'd actually do something and you were like, oh, oh wait, yeah, okay. <laughs> I was paying attention. <laughs> and that was just, it was just amazing to see that. And then you could recover the horse too in the stall. You had to just watch the horse. And if something happened, go get, go get a clinician. Yeah. That's always a glorious thing when they stand up afterwards. Yeah. Um, did you know what kind of medicine you wanted to practice when you got out of school? You know, before I got out of vet school, I thought I'd do a mixed practice because that was what I was exposed to. So I always kept the options open to study both, um, you know, mostly cows, you know, farm animals, not really equine medicine. So I really didn't know, everybody was around horses and I didn't really know that much about them. You know, I was open to it, but, um, usually just a small animal, you know, I came out with a really, focus like you know small animal medicine surgery conventional medicine you know let's get get the job let me do surgery let me learn the latest drugs and medicine and um you know then your your first job you take a small animal practice and then you get you know kind of tracked on that and you did an internship right out of school yeah i did an internship um i was lucky to find one because that time i fiance was going to move to Memphis to work. And I found one in town, um, the stage road, I think animal hospital. And the doctor there did surgery for the greyhounds at the track. And then it was an aha practice with three veterinarians. So a really nice man. And then, you know, I'm just out of school. I could do, you know, you could do nothing. You know, you just can't, you can't, <laughs> handle, you can't do surgery. You can't do, you can't do a prescription of antibiotics. Like I have no idea what to do with anything. Um, and then that was a rumor too, when you put the Merck manual outside or the Merck manual in the bathroom. So if someone asked you a question, you're like, Oh, excuse me, I have to go check on something. And you'd run out of the room and read up what they asked you and then run back in the room. <laughs> you were smart because you could tell them what you just learned. <laughs> and so after the internship, where'd you go? Then, then, um, we moved to New York, which was interesting staying in the South and getting a Southern accent and then a Tennessee accident. And then we moved to Mount Kisco, New York. And I took a practice in Scarsdale, New York, took a small position, small in New York, which I think 
the New Yorkers didn't really know what to do with me with my accent. And I was all slower. I wasn't as uptight as everybody. But I really enjoyed that practice too. That was a that was a nice practice. Um, free veterinarian. We had access to everything in New York. Uh, specialist, you know, blood pickups two, three times a day. Um, emergency clinics that you can refer patients to. So that was a that was a fun job to be at, and one to you know to to get you know just to learn a lot more and have some you know some backup too. Because when you're first out of school, you know I could I could just spit things out. You know the technician would ask me something, I could just spit out the you know about allergic paralysis. I could spit out everything, and they're like, "Wow, you have that memorized." But if you a case came in, you're like, "Well, I don't know how to how do I manage this? What do I do?" You know, you you have to get that practical knowledge. Yeah. How long were you guys there? There for four years. What was your Where was your next stop? Well, then, so we're there for four years. I, I liked that position. Then sometimes at the weekends, it was hard because I had to work a lot of weekends. So that's hard being a new student and a new graduate and then newly married. So that's hard. So then we, so it seems like I take a job that's really intense. And then my, at that time, my husband wanted to go work in Pennsylvania, which I was like, I spent all this time trying to get out of Pennsylvania. Now you're taking me back <laughs> to Pennsylvania. And that was near that was near um, Bethlehem. So it's a different area of Pennsylvania. It was near Bethlehem, kind of middle of state. Um, I worked in, I think, Eaton, Pennsylvania, where the Cradle of Koreans came from. So I had a long commute. And that, that was different. It was a different place to, to live. Um, and we were just there for a year. So it's a, you know, I followed his it's good veterinary medicine allows you to, you know, once you get your state license, you could move from state to state, um, you know, some lag time. So I followed his career um, as he was going up the corporate ladder. I should back up a little bit. Was it difficult for you to get a New York license? Well, there's a story to that where I applied and I didn't send in my application until after the deadline because the first test was during my honeymoon. But they said, oh, we accommodated you and you could take your test. And I said, well, I'm on my honeymoon. And they said, okay, you failed that attempt. So you have one more attempt in January. And you had to go for two, that's when you had to go to Cornell for two days and take a, like a oral test. And it was mostly weighted to large animal. And you had to, you had to know the Cornell answers, which there was, my friend had taken it. So I had some older tests that you had, you look at some of the answers and then you wore the Cornell scrubs because they right. didn't know who you were. Yeah. So yeah. if you wore the Cornell scrubs, then they could help you a little bit. Um, or that was a rumor. And then, and then she said to write down all the questions, but he come out and read all the questions. Cause if you have to contest an answer, then you could at least look them up. And then when you go in, you could bring your books and you have the answers ready to contest them. Cause sometimes they wanted the Cornell answer. And then, you know, you could say, well, I went to a different school and this is how we would do like there's something about like pulling a calf or putting in a a displaced uterus in a cow is different from different schools. So I think as long as you told them this is here's my notes and here's the book and I'm citing it and it's a different way of doing it, you could get the points for it. So you passed on that first attempt then? Yeah, it yeah, it was kinda it took a while to grade it and I think my boss thought I was hiding the fact that I didn't pass it because I wasn't saying anything. And because I had a temporary license and he knew it was going to expire. So he called someone on the board and said, Hey, what's going on? And then, you know, they couldn't say anything, but he said, well, you know, we're still going through them. Cause I think they had a, you know, 
kind of put them on a curve and see who took what questions, wrote some questions out. And she said, oh, you don't have any, tell Roche she doesn't have anything to worry about. So that's how we knew. So I was like, oh, thank goodness. Because I don't, I don't, I don't know. I guess I had a, a Tennessee and a Georgia license. I would have had to go back there and work or not work and apply to take the test again. I mean, I didn't know what, I don't know what happened after you, if you didn't pass it. Yeah, we're pretty uh, we're of pretty similar vintages, and that was always the thing about New York was that it was just a very difficult test to pass. Yeah, it was fine. I think it was, and it was an ice storm, and it was freezing, and I think friends of I'm actually a classmate there saw me there. She was taking the test there, and I knew another classmate that worked there, and they're like, "We're going out to dinner." I'm like, "I'm going home." I'm like, "It's a giving ice storm, and I just want to pass my test and go home." And and at sign of the times too, was, I asked to go to the restroom. And the, you know, the proctor, she had to stay in the room. No one could leave until everybody was done. And she's like, well, go down to the men's room down there. And I'm like, where's the ladies room? She's like, there isn't anyone here. The school is built when there are just men here. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. So after Bethlehem, where'd you guys go? Then we were going to go back to New York, but we didn't want to live in New York because of, you know, the taxes and just um, buying a house there. So we moved to Connecticut and I found a nice practice in Connecticut. I really, and I enjoy Connecticut. It was busy. It was in New York, but there's more of like a, a clientele. There's like a horse clientele where I was. Um, Cause the doctor I took a job with, he had a horse and he was a hunter jumper. And so the people there were a little laid back and it was just beautiful. Um, you know, nice practice. And I, and then we purchased our first home. So I was all excited to have a home and we got a dog. And I think we finally, you know, finally, that was like, six years out of school where you're finally to go take a deep breath and say, okay, I'm working. Okay. I have a job, but I feel you know, I'm paying my student loans down. I'm paying my car down. Things are getting, you know, things are getting good. Yeah. So at what point did you get in and get into holistic medicine then? You know, there's always like a draw there because I was always asking clients like, you know, what do you feed your dog or what do you, what is your dog's job? Or like just trying to get a big picture of the, um, of the um of the whole animal, and not just treat you know what was um you know what was um the the initial problem, and then that's when you know I had I had a few friends that were doing a little bit of acupuncture and holistic work, and so they'd talk to me about like the supplements, like the missing link, and then Vetri Science has some things that came out, and so you're looking at them like what are these supplements, and I think like. They had like the green lip muscle came out for dogs with arthritis because we didn't have anything back then. You had, you know, aspirin, butte, you know, nothing. Right. You know, late, yeah. you know, we weren't doing laser therapy. Acupuncture wasn't around. And then Dr. Alan Schoen was in the area too. So I heard him lecture. So there's always like a little draw of like, you know, what else can you, what else can I do? And I think you're just out of practice long enough that you're just looking for some, for something else. And, you know, veterinarians were highly intelligent. And once we master something, then we're like, well, what's the next thing? What's the next thing can I do? And I, I was just looking for something else for my patients. Also, because if you, you know, you, you know, get some of these animals, they're chronic diseases. And, and you're like, okay, I've done the medicine wise, but what else is there? Oh, look, there's supplements, there's diet. Um, you know, we could refer you for acupuncture you know, chiropractor, there's things, there's, there's just opens a whole new world and what else you could do. Yeah. So when did you start your training? So I started my training 
So, so you could jump further ahead to where I was practicing in Illinois. Um, after my divorce, I moved to Illinois to stay in your family. And I was doing relief work. And that was when the economy wasn't so good, like 2007, 8, 9. And so, you know, so you're doing relief work. And, and sometimes you had to just tell some practice owners, like, I'll come in for just a few hours, you know, just four or five hours. You don't have to pay me for the full day. I just want to have a place that I could work. And, and then I just got to, and actually, yeah, I mean, it's like, sometimes like the universe gives you like a hint or a push because a person asked me to come do relief work. He just bought a practice and he moved from Ohio and he was holistic. And then he was just taking the chi acupuncture course and he had all the chi herbs there. And I do relief work for him in regular medicine. And I'm like, Oh, look, I'm interested in acupuncture. And once he heard I was interested in it, then he would show me cases and, you know, I pulled in all the chi herbs and laugh at all the funny names and, you know, look at some of the holistic stuff he was doing. And then I just, one day, I, sometimes I just wake up one day and, and I just said, Hey, you know, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm working and it's fun to work and just do relief work and work in different practices. But where, where are you going? Like, you know, after, you know, after you get your divorce, it's like, I don't have to follow my husband's career. I have my career. Where, where am I going? And it was a, I guess a decision between are you going to go work in ER work and do ultrasound and be the ER doctor or acupuncture. And so I just said, oh, I really, I could get my own, my own practice doing acupuncture. And I wanted to hear Dr. Shea speak. So I just signed up for the small acupuncture course at Chi. And then I changed my mind a couple weeks later and said, if I'm spending all the money, I want to do both classes, the equine and the small animal. So I went out there, went to Chi as a mixed animal student. Did you enjoy that? I enjoyed that. I almost missed the first day of class because I, I did an ER shift and then got on the plane. So my roommates had to wake me up and they're like, are you going to class? Because my alarm was set for PM instead of AM. And yeah, so I'm like, oh, well, no, yeah, I do want to go. So that's definitely funny if I didn't wake up and be like, what happened? That The first class, you know, I wish at that time, I wish they would or I wish I would have read something like read one of the books or read something before. Cause I just showed up, you know, I'm a typical me. Hi, I'm here. I'm showing up. So the Chinese medicine, I kind of had a headache the whole time. And I'm like, I don't know. This is different. This is, I don't get it. And, and as a little older student, so staying in those labs for a while, I'm like, I'm kind of done. I don't, I don't want to learn anything else. I don't, I don't want to know any more point. I'm kind of, my brain's full. So the first class, you know, I, it, I was ha- it was it was fun. It was neat to be there. It was fun. I was learning everything, but I was still struggling with the whole concept of it. The Chinese medicine has a different logic, and everything was new. So then this, I went home and you know, I bought the atlas and bought the books and read the books and got more prepared for the second class. And then I felt a lot better. And I was happy to go. I mean, she's a great place to go. It's sunny. It's happy. Everyone's happy. They feed you well. And Dr. Shea is a wonderful person. And oh, once you, you get in there, yeah, once you get, and then the second class, you're you're just in. Yeah, you're, just, you're sold. <laughs> and, and then it w- was, did you do chiropractic at the same time or when, when did that come in? That came a couple years later because I was, I did the acupuncture and I came out of class, but just all the equine and dog points just in my head like spaghetti. So I spent a couple years just learning the, the dog points because you focus on what species you don't know. So in class, I focused on the equine points and then I had to learn the dog points and feel confident doing those and start their practice. And I was having trouble 
you know, getting people to come for the Chinese medicine and acupuncture and some clients weren't really, you know, too, too certain about that. So someone mentioned you should do chiropractic because people get chiropractic here. So maybe you should do that. So I think the universe is like, okay, um, you should go to the Healing Oasis. And I you know, looked at some different program and I picked the Healing Oasis Wellness Center um, with Dr. Rivera because, you know, it just it's right here. I mean, it's near my own backyard. So, and I heard his, his classes heavy on neurology. So I like that aspect of it. So that probably set pretty well with you then, yeah? Yeah, it set well. I, I had a little difficulty with the, the adjustments because I wasn't, you know, I kind of showed up to class, wasn't really sure what chiropractic was. Um, you know, a lot of students in the class never had chiropractic care. So to me to learn the, you know, where's my contact point on the dog? Where's my contact point on the hand? How do you do your body positioning? You know, I struggle with that. Um, but the neurology was fun. And then the anatomy, um, I asked the student, why do we keep, ta- why do they keep giving us these same questions? Why do they keep, why are we taking these anatomy tests? And they're like, everyone's having a problem with that. I'm like, I think the anatomy is the easiest part because you just have to memorize it. That was the kind of a student I was. But some of the, some of the neurology, like if Dr. Rivera had us kind of assimilated or explain it back, I had a little trouble with that. But, you know, because I'm an older student, you give me notes, I can memorize it and spit it back to you. But if I have to think about it, then it's like, oh, wait, to integrate it, it's like, wait, wait, I got to think about this. And so on some of his tests, I, you know, there are times at the end of the time, I, you know, write what I thought was the answer and then kind of write some stuff. He said, don't write that, but he just wrote a whole bunch. At the end, I'd be like, I don't really understand this question. <laughs> we should talk about this. That would be my answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with, you've got some extra training at Chi with uh, food therapy and now you're involved in their master's program. So what does your practice, your professional life look like now? So now I do house calls. I had opened my practice when I lived in Illinois in a Western suburb. And I knew that I was going to move up to Wisconsin with my new second husband. Um, so I wasn't, so I figured I'll just open it up and then just move it and see what happens. So I have a lot of clients where a um, physical therapist will refer to me clients in the area where I used to live. So a lot of times I spend time on the road traveling down to Illinois, which is fun. I mean, I think going on the road kind of calms me down. You know, I drive through traffic, kind of gets me out of my, you know, your local area. You get to see new things, meet new people. So I have a few, you know, house calls. I try to just do a few a day, not too many, because then I start getting a little time pressure that I don't like. Um, and then also I help because I was, I, before I went to integrated medicine, I had worked as a small veterinarian for about 20 years. So I have, you know, I feel very confident in the conventional medicine world. So to help assist financially, I do some relief work for some local practices. And during the pandemic, I also went to help some local practices, um, you know, because they just needed help. You know, they just needed a veterinarian just to come in for, you know, just come and help us for a few hours, a few days, whenever you could help us. Kind of nice to keep your hand in the traditional side, isn't it? Yeah, because I think it just helps your brain, you know, it just keeps you engaged, you know, what's new, what's going on, um, you know, what the new diseases are and just, and just like problem solving and just, and just, you know, keep your contacts open. Um, you know, during relief work, I met a lot of practices, you know, a lot of practices owners in, you know, Illinois and Wisconsin. So I have a wide span of, you know, how far would I drive? That's about an hour from where I live to go work. 
And um, not for, it was I, it was fun. I enjoyed that when I first started working because I, when you take a full time practice, you know, full time job, you're in that practice and you're just there with the owner. Well, what they'll allow you to do what they'll pay for. You know, you can't do ultrasound. They don't have it. You know, if they don't have exotics, you can't do exotic. There's certain things you can't do. So when I first came back to work in Illinois, I was at spay neuter. I was at the ER. I went to exotic practice. I went to a busy practice, small practice, you know, tiny little, you know, vaccine clinic practice. So I just had fun with it. It was fun to, to, um, you know, just be able just to work and just explore the whole industry. What, what is here? What's out here? What, what's good practices? What isn't? What works well? What doesn't? You're in the master's program at Chi now. Have you uh, settled in on a research project? Not yet. I'm still keeping my options open. I just took the Tweena class. I really enjoyed that. And I know they were asking for more research in Tweena, so that might be something to, to consider. Yeah, that'd actually yeah. be kind of interesting. Yeah, um, interesting. I want to talk about your, uh, your um, organizational experience. You were president of the Chicago VMA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's got to be a big group. A group. There's about a thousand members, veterinary hospitals, and it, it the Chicago VMA it covers the city of Chicago, but also the suburbs. So we have to cater to the you know the city veterinarians, also to the suburban veterinarians, and it you know and that covers just a lot of legislative and C events and social events, and um and a lot of other organizations look toward the CVMA. What what are we doing? What are we paying attention to? You know what's what's on our agenda, and you're involved with the uh, the foundation as well. Yeah, I was president of the foundation. I stayed. I came, after the president of the CVMA. I went to be president of that foundation, and then I stayed there for a couple years. And I think a couple years kind of got glossed over, and like, oh no, you're on for more years. So um, I think I was president of that for six years, and I finally last year I had to say, hey, I need to step down. There just it was. And I was there for too long. And I said, I think it's time for a new blood to come in and take over. And it's time for me just to step down. What sort of things does the foundation do? The foundation, what we do is we have um, fundraisers at the local CVMA meetings and also our own fundraisers. And then we go out to the public on some educational events. Or if they're having like a pet expo, we go out to there to provide just information for clients. And we also provide funding for if you have a pet that needs emergency care in the Chicago area, you can help with a, you know, small monetary grant to help with some funding. Nice. And you're also now on the board of the AHVMA, you're, you're uh, president elect. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah. So I, so I knew this, eventually I was going to leave the CVMA, you know, do your, go through the board and stay on and then eventually look for something new. I knew that I was not going to live in Illinois. So when I went to the first AHVMA meeting, and I talked to Mona Berdrow and said, hey, I want to get on the board. Come on up to my CVMA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what can I do to help? Yeah. Have you enjoyed That's, your time on the board? Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's fun to see, you know, because I was on the, C, C, the Chicago VMA for so long. I'm used to how that board works. And I go to a different board and I go, okay. And then, and then you have to realize that it's national. So there's a lot more undertaking. And then when I saw the budget, I was like, wow, okay, this is a big organization. It's a little more complicated than our local one. But it's um it's it's interesting and 
you know, I was vice president and then president-elect. You know, I wish that I had more responsibilities because I feel like I'm here and I'm on the board, but I like to just, you know, I like this to be more helpful. Yeah. I guess just being on the board and, and saying I'll be president next year is, is help enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that president slot is pretty, uh, it's a pretty busy time. Um, what do you, what do you like to do outside of work? So outside of work, um, I wish I had more time to go to the gym and do yoga. Cause I like doing yoga in the gym and, um, you know, me and my husband are skiers, you know, avid skiers and he'll retire this year. So we'll be able to take more ski trips. And he was a school teacher. So we had to just take our ski trips during Christmas and spring break, which then the ski hills are so busy. It's hard to do that. Um, we like to travel. We like to travel to see different countries and um, just different ways of living. You know, that's a fun thing to do. Um, I know reading. I buy a lot of books. They're kind of lined up on my, I have a dresser of all these books. Maybe I like to spend a month just <laughs> reading all the books that I bought that I should have been reading. Um, then you gravitate toward, yeah, what do you gravitate when you're not busy? And I always gravitate to the, you know, when reading the, you know, some of the chi books or the, you know, the, some of the books that they always recommend, you know, like the Yellow Emperor's book or the Web Has No Re Weaver or some of these different books that you're like, well, it's kind of interesting. Um, those are reading. Reading's fun. It is kind of nice to go back to those classic textbooks. What do you, uh, what's your opinion? What, uh, what do you think uh, the future of holistic medicine is in the veterinary field? You know, I, I, I believe there's always going to be people who are interested in it because it, it's out there enough. You know, there's, there's acupuncture, there's chiropractic, there's herbal therapies, food therapy. There's always people who are interested in it, you know, client wise. And there's also veterinarians who are interested in it. And I believe that there's going to be, you know, some veterinarians like me who have gone the conventional path and then you get to a point where, you know, you're looking for something else or just something different or how else can I help my patients. And then as we get more research, I think some of the holistic care is going to be more, more um, mainstream. I always tell people when they come up with a new therapy or a new drug or something, I'm like, the holistic vets are talking about that like five years ago. And now it's mainstream and it's okay. <laughs> you know, you know, remember, you remember five years ago when I talked about that and you thought I was like a little crazy and look, it's out now. It's mainstream. That happens so quite a bit. Me. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are your plans? What do you, where do you think your uh, career is going to take you from here? Well, you know, I've been out of school for a while, but, and I know my husband's retiring and my, family's retiring and his family's retiring. Everyone's retiring around me. And I'm like, I'm still ready to work. Like what, what, you know, you, you spend your whole, you know, young life just trying to get into veterinary school and then you get out and then, you know, then how long do you want to stay and work in there? And I'm just kind of, I feel like I'm just kind of getting started a little bit in a holistic world. So I still like to stay working, you know, I guess, you know, God willing and, if everything could keep, you know, my body could keep me working, um, you know, it's physically, you know, doing the chiropractic and the acupuncture. So I, I'm kind of in a good spot right now between giving my time to the organization, you know, doing some conventional medicine, doing some house calls, um, you know, house call acupuncture, chiropractic, herbal. I mean, you could do house calls, you know, I could see until, I don't know, to 70s, so as long as you could have 
So maybe I'll get a driver when I get a little older. Take me <laughs> some of the calls. I mean, you know, the driver does get to you. You know, I may, I may try to get a location, you know, in a practice or, you know, in a pet store or somewhere. So sometimes a drive-in, you know, when I might get a little older. I might not want to drive around so much, but I'm, I'd like to keep going. And then after, if I couldn't practice, I would still like to be involved in the organization. I think it would be fun you know, to, to still attend the events and volunteer on the boards and, um, you know, go to the meetings, just help as much as I can. Like the, um, HB May has the, what the elders group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just stay on there. Yeah. I'll be there. You know, I have the retired vets in the back who come in <laughs> and tackle the speakers or they, <laughs> you know, they're there just to help the new, the newbies. Cause I, when I went to the AHB May, the first meeting, you know, I, I, I know of some people in the organization because, you know, you're around the, you're around the acupuncture course and you, I work part time for some holistic vets. So I knew of some of the people in the area, but then we go to the, the, um, retreat, you know, the, the council of elders, I mean, they were just like, they were just accepting, like, who are you? And, and, you know, and you're like, oh, I was conventional for a while. And they're like, we, you know, we don't care. We're just happy to see you here. And we're happy you're here. And they were just so accepting of you. And it was just such a nice feeling, the first retreat, that the whole conference is just so accepting of you. You know, wh- whoever you are and whatever your background was, just happy to see you there. And then I was happy because I was found at a conference where I could, you know, you're just like-minded people. You could take a deep breath and say, oh, these people, they, they, you know, they, they like acupuncture. They agree with acupuncture and chiropractic and certain ways of feeding and supplements and you get, yeah, you kind of felt like you found your tribe. Like, this is my tribe. These are my friends. Wonderful. Well, Rosemary, it's been great talking to you. You've had a, a nice varied career so far, and I really want to thank you for your service to, uh, to veterinary medicine and to holistic medicine. Thanks so much, Neil. Thanks for having me. And I hope to see you soon. Yeah, hope to see you soon, too. All right. Bye-bye. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.